You may have a seat. I am thrilled. Uh, well, I'm, I'm, I can't wait for the barbecue, but I'm really uh, happy that we are wearing summer attire now. Yes, shorts and sandals are acceptable in church. Jesus wore sandals and a tunic. And so uh, if you want me to wear a tunic, I will. Uh, but sandals are perfectly okay. Uh, there was once a time I was working at a, at a church and I was doing young adults and I used to have a surf ministry. It was in San Diego. And so it was, it was a great, great time. But on Tuesday, Thursday mornings, we met with a bunch of people. This isn't part of the sermon. This is just a freebie. And, uh, and I got back to the office and I was covered in sand and sandals. And the senior pastor walks in and sees me and he goes, oh, we're wearing sandals today, aren't we? He wasn't, he wasn't happy. And uh, I looked at him and went, so did Jesus. I didn't last long at that place. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, today we kick off uh, a new series. Uh, you know, last week we ended our invitation to wholeness. Today we kick off a new one for our summertime. It's called Parables. How many have ever heard of the parables? Yeah, we know a few of them, right? Well, Jesus told these parables, and he told a lot of them. In fact, when Jesus taught, he mostly talked in parables. Not only that, he lived in parables. And parables, uh, parables are this way of, of grabbing your attention without you really realizing it. Like all of a sudden, you're surrounded by a story, and you can listen to the story, or you could just hear the story. Have you ever thought of the difference between listening and hearing? I learned it at a very young age. My mom would come in, and she would tell me what I needed to do, and I was playing duck hunt, right, on Nintendo, and it's the only time I've been duck hunting, and I was good, so I'd probably be pretty good in, in real life, but I was playing video games, and she comes in, and she tells me all of the things I need to get done, and I'm like, yeah, 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 whatever, I hear you, and then she comes back like an hour later, and nothing's done, and she goes, are you listening to me, and it hit me like, oh, hearing and listening are entirely different things, right? You can hear something, and, and the guys in the room are like, yep, I get this. Because we hear things all the time, but do we actually listen? Hearing is involuntary. We all hear everything going on. Listening requires some work. For instance, you walked in today, and you heard a bunch of stuff. Did you know there was music playing when you walked in? Or was it just background noise? You heard it. Have you all ever heard the fans that these three lights make? You heard it, but have you really paid attention to it? This projector above me, if you listen, is extremely loud. If you listen to it. You hear everything now? Oh, why? Because you've gone from listening to, or from hearing to actually paying attention to what you're hearing. That's the difference between listening and hearing. We as humans are great at hearing things, listening is what we're not very good at. When you listen to something, you take in the data, you, you process it through the brain you have in your head, and then you go, oh, this means this and this and this. And now, because I've listened to it, I'm going to change. How many of you listen to audiobooks? Or do you just hear them? I've been listening to a couple, and on the way down to work, I'm like, wait a second. I've been listening to this author read their book for the last 20 minutes, and I have no idea what they said. Why? Because it's just background noise. The other Yesterday, I got in the car and drove a bunch of errands, and Carrie was in the car before me. She listens to the dreaded country music. <laughs> and I was halfway through my day, like an hour of driving here and there to get stuff for the barbecue, until I finally heard, like, oh, that's Dirk Bentley. 
oh, gross, I've been listening to country. <laughs> I was hearing it, but it was just background noise. I didn't really pay attention to it, and I, I quickly changed when I heard Caleb singing along to a, a song about drinking on an airplane. I was like, that's funny, but uh, probably shouldn't be listening to country around my children. Anything else is fine. <laughs> now you know my stance on music. But there's a whole bunch of things in this world of ours that zap our attention, right? We can get so focused on one thing that when someone tries to tell us another thing, we miss it. We can get so focused on us that when God tries to speak to us, we don't have the capacity to listen. We might hear what God is saying, but we don't listen to it. There's a story where this kind of uh, fits in, and as we introduce this idea of parables and are we paying attention, uh, the story of David pops up. David, uh, if you know the story, David was the king of Israel. He, he had an experience with five stones and a big giant and some bears and a slingshot. He was very good at it. But David is the perfect example of hearing and not listening. Uh, David uh, was the true rags to riches story as you look in scripture. He was the youngest son uh, of, his, of the youngest child, right? And when Samuel came to David or to David's family, to Jesse, and said, I'm looking for a king and God tells me that the king is here. Samuel brought, or Jesse brought out all of his sons and then Samuel went down the line and said, it's none of these. Do you have another son? And, and Samuel's like, what? Yes, I do. It's the ultimate forgotten child, right? David was out doing the work and everybody else was around. And so David is the forgotten one. Yet David is anointed king. He goes from being forgotten to being one of the most powerful kings the land of Israel has ever seen. David takes the kingdom from Saul and then the kingdom finally becomes the most powerful country in the world. David went from the, re the real rags to riches went from not being recognized to being one of the most feared. He was called the man after God's own heart, and that's really a, quite a title. It's because he listened to what God was saying. He listened to the Lord, and you could see it throughout the Psalms and throughout his life that what God said, David really cherished, and he responded to what God said. There is a time where David was wanting to build a temple, and the, the Lord said, no, I don't need one. And David responded and said, okay, I won't do it. But David, the power that David experienced went to his head. We all know the story. If he didn't, there was an incident that happened in David's life where he started to listen to himself instead of listening to God. He heard God, but he wasn't paying attention to God. He wasn't listening to God. The stories in, uh, in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and 12, and, and I'll summarize chapter 11, there's a time every year where the kings all leave and they go to war like the other kings do. They all stay there. They all leave and they go to war and they stay on the battlefield with their people. But David had such a kingdom that he didn't need to do that. He had somebody else to do that. So he sent Joab to fight the battle for him. Instead, David stayed home walked along the rooftops and decided to look into people's windows. And as he did, he noticed somebody. He noticed a woman named Bathsheba. And David began to listen to himself and pay attention to himself. And he stopped listening to the Lord. And he invited Bathsheba over. Things led to another thing. And then pretty soon, Bathsheba sends the email out the next morning and says, by the way, I'm pregnant. It's yours. And then David has a little problem on his hands. 
There was about three or four of them. That was the first or second one. The more comes along, David found out who this woman was. She was one of his officer's wives. And then he, he decided that, okay, I'm going to cover this up. So I'm going to bring Uriah home. So I've, I've, I've stepped out on my marriage. I've committed adultery. Now I'm going to lie about it to cover up. And I'm going to bring Uriah home, give him a little R&R vacation. And then, you know, one thing will lead to another there. And then they won't even know the difference. Great. Uriah wasn't that kind of guy. Uriah said, what am I doing here when my fellow soldiers are out camping in the field? So Uriah sleeps on his doorstep. Things didn't go along with David's plan. David heard about this. Crap, he says. I'm in it. So he sends Uriah back to battle with orders to Joab to say, put Uriah on the front lines, which means Uriah's going to die. Put him on the front lines and send him against the strongest section of the, Mo, of the Ammonite kingdom. Basically, murder him to cover his tracks. Pretty soon the messenger comes back to David, and Joab gives him this, uh, a, a, the messenger a, a little warning. He says, look, David might fly off the rails when he hears that his officer has died. Comfort him, encourage him. But when David hears about this, he goes, well, I guess things like that happen. Tell Joab not to worry about it. We'll get the Ammonites tomorrow. We'll get them again tomorrow. We, we play again tomorrow, and we'll win that one. David's plan of him getting off the hook was solidified. Well, now that Bathsheba's available, no one's going to ask any questions, right? No. David uh, is more on the hook than he can ever imagine. His heart and his actions are so off base that no one even recognizes him. He's not acting like himself. And it's easy to pick on David here. We all tend to. We call him foolish for walking right into sin, right? Why, did, why didn't he go to battle? Why did he put himself in a situation when this could happen? Uh, why didn't he run from the temptation as Joseph did with Potiphar's wife? Why did he have to lie? Why didn't he just come clean? There's all these things, and we look at David and go, oh, man, you're, you're an idiot. What'd you do that for? However, we do the same thing. Now, it might not be to the scale of, of David and Bathsheba, uh, but we set out to do things in our own life that we know aren't right. Whether it's clicking on that internet site that you know you shouldn't be on anymore, or, or, or whether it's, it's prepping the lie and then figuring out how you can cover your tracks afterwards, or, or spreading the rumor, or rationalizing the action long before the action's taken. Well, it says it's okay here, and you know that God says, yeah, I don't care what the culture says. I want you to do it this way. And we prep it, and we, we do the same thing that, that David did. In the middle of that process, David had the chance to listen to the word of God, yet he didn't. And for, the, for me, as I look at myself, as I look at David, I have a hard time getting on David's case because I can do the same thing. I can hear I can know, but do I listen? Especially when my mind has been made up. So careful how we shame David. Be careful how you shame people who, who do things that are wrong because, well, we've done the same thing. And so David has a problem on his hands. And now David's got to get his attention back to God somehow. 
And so God has a man to do this. His, man, his name is Nathan. Nathan was the prophet in Israel at this time. And he sends Nathan to talk to David. Nathan was Samuel's protege. And when the prophet spoke, especially a prophet that came from Samuel, uh, people listened. And David was going to listen to Nathan when he spoke. So for 2 Samuel 12, Nathan goes to meet David. And in verse 1, the Lord sent Nathan to David. The word for sent there is a very common word. It's the word salah. Uh, It's the word that is used for when David sent for Bathsheba, or also when David sent Uriah. Uh, David has been doing some sending. It's a common phrase, but when it is Yahweh God sent somebody, it's something that we need to pay attention to, because now that David has sent a bunch of people to and fro to cover cover his tracks, God is doing some sending now. He said, hey, I'm sending someone to talk to you. Now watch what Nathan does to get David's attention. Remember, David is hearing a bunch of noise, but he's not listening to everything that's going on. David's mind is so captured by sin. His mind is so captured by guilt and probably shame. The only way to recapture David is to speak to his imagination. It continues. When he came to him, he said, there are two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle. But the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it and grew it up with him and his children. It was the family pet. It shared food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. So how does a prophet correct an unhinged king who assumed that he had unfettered and absolute power? He tells him a story. He, he, he starts to, to, to pull on David's heartstrings. Nathan's parable is about a rich man and a poor man. Where did David come from? He came from the rags to riches. He's pulling on David's imagination, saying, David, this is kind of like you. Nathan's parable arouses David's anger, and he quickly condemns himself by condemning the rich man. In verse 5, he says, David burned with anger against that man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, this man must die. And that word for burned with anger is actually kind of a funny word if, if you're nerdy like me. Uh, the word anger is the word off, the A-F. It's, it's pretty easy to pronounce. Uh, it, it, it means face or nostril, but it also means anger. Then if you look at the word burned with, it's the word hurrah. If you want to have that, just apologize to your neighbor for spitting on them. Hurrah. Hurrah, it means to be red hot, to burn with anger. Y'all remember the, the old Looney Tunes, for those of you who are over the age of 30, when the character got mad, their face turned red, and then the smoke comes out of their nose and their ears? That's what the picture of David is here. He looks like an unhinged bowl that's, burnt, that's beat red, stomping his feet. I'm mad. This is David. David's anger played right into Nathan's hands. This parable gave David an image of exactly what David had done with Uriah. One little lamb, and it speaks directly to his heart. David 
was a shepherd before he was a king. He knew about lambs and sheep and how precious that sheep, especially little ones, were to the family. It's almost like Nathan used this parable to break through the noise of David's life and recapture David to himself. David, who is a shepherd. David, who used to listen to God's voice. The old David, before he got full of ego and pride. David's anger kept going, and then he announces a royal judgment. He says he must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Now, have you ever been in an argument where you, or a debate where you kind of, you know you're going to win, and, and then you, you, you shape the argument, and then you make the person step on their argument, whether it's correcting a typo on Facebook, or like, oh, I think you meant your with the apostrophe, and that automatically wins, or, 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 they, uh, or something where it's like, gotcha, right? This is Nathan. He played right into his hands, and Nathan says to David, you are that man. And it's two words in Hebrew. It's ata-yish. Ata-yish. You're that man. Yish is the word for man. Those words cut through David's heart, cut through the noise, and wakes David up to the reality of his condition. Sort of like he's coming out of a trance. And David's response is unique here. David wakes up like he's been sleepwalking this entire time. And he's tra- he's, he repents, not because he's trapped, not because he's caught, but he knew that he had no other option but to repent. And the story goes on, and, and, and Nathan gives the, the consequences of this. Even though David repents, doesn't mean that the consequences aren't there. David's actions needed consequences. You can repent from your sin, but oftentimes our sin have consequences, whether they be from God or natural consequences that come along with our, our bad decision. The, David wakes up and he repents. And Nathan had every right that day, however, to walk into David's life and say, David, you did this. What would David have done in response? Nathan, you're dead, right? But what did Nathan do? Nathan starts evoking an imaginative state with David, and David starts putting himself in stories. I can fix this problem. It wouldn't have gone well if Nathan uh, uh, came up with a different strategy. Instead, Nathan is speaking a hard message to a powerful person, and it takes some tact to do this right. And so he brings the parable to David. And when he stokes David's imaginations, David's heart, his heart wakes up and the sin that blinded him ends in repentance and then the relationship is restored between God and David. And we can read about David's repentance in Psalm 51. He says this, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. And in verse 10, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit with me. That's a song. If you want to sing it later, you can. But the story that Nathan tells, instead of coming in and firing away with all of the facts of everything that David did wrong, David knew what he did wrong. He begins with the story that gets his attention. This is how powerful parables are. And this is where we're, why we're going to study them for the next few weeks. Because these parables wake us up. And when you look at Jesus' teaching, he begins by speaking in parables rather quickly. 
Why? Because he's talking to a lot of people who are in very powerful positions, who are very set in their ways, and they've gone deaf to the ways of God. And he starts to begin in parables. Rather than blunt force, which he could have done, and he tried in a couple places, he starts to evoke in them an imagination. And so as we spend some time in parables, yes, Jesus is talking to an audience, but these parables will begin to speak to you in ways that you're taking part of the story. My encouragement is to you to listen. Jesus is talking a lot about a lot more than just the story at hand. Uh, with these parables, we can look at them scientifically. We can all fall into the temptation to talk about you know, the processes of symbiosis when we look at the seeds, and, and we can talk about who, who's scattering and who's, who's growing, and, and, and we can look at the condition of the soil or our hearts, and we can look at them and miss the point because we're not really paying attention to them. When we study Jesus' parables, he's talking about more than just the story that we're reading. It's about the seeds, but it's about much more than the seeds as well. He's addressing an issue that he sees in the world around them, and it's addressing an issue that we see in our world today. They're not riddles to solve. The riddle isn't the parable. The riddle is us. When we look at the parables, look at ourselves. They act as mirrors into our own lives and show us the way we're living, just like Nathan's parable was a mirror into David to say, David, this is how you're living. Jesus' parables were told to his audience to awaken something in them. The parables are, are uh, Jesus picking up the CB, and I used to do this with my dad's truck all the time. You pick the CB up and you hit the button, and what do you say? Breaker, breaker. Is there anyone out there? Over. Right? It's to see if someone's listening, right? If, if someone's going to answer, and it scares the crud out of you when someone answers. You're like, oh, no, that worked, right? Someone's actually listening to me, right? So the parables are Jesus looking at us going, breaker, breaker. Are you listening to this? Or are you just hearing this? Are you listening to me? Can you see the story behind the story? Can you see what I'm really talking about? Jesus' parables were not used to explain things. Rather, his parables were used to call attention to all the ways that we have missed the point. And his audience had missed the point. Jesus' uh, parables exposed the holes in his listeners' thinking, and they exposed the holes in our thinking. You see, Jesus' audience is just as hard as hearing as David. Jesus' audience is just as hard at hearing as we are. They were so entrapped in our, their own groupthink, their own group rules, and their own group tradition that they couldn't see beyond themselves. Oh, they had the scriptures. So do we. we. We read them, hopefully. They memorized them. They knew them front to back, backwards and forwards, up and down. They heard them. But the way they lived their lives, they were not listening to them because if they would have listened to them, they would have actually changed and understood what was happening. And so Jesus, for example, tells some parables, and we'll look at a couple of them today. In Luke 18, he's talking to a group of people who were so smug and content in their confidence that, that, that they were the most upstanding citizens in all of the land. They had God figured out. And they convinced themselves that if you didn't look exactly like them, well, you were second class and you're not on God's guest list. God's not pleased with you. And so Jesus in Luke 18 tells this parable. He's talking to these people. They're all gathered around him. And he says this in, in verse 9. 
to some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them a parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. So right away you see a Pharisee who in that culture had everything together. They were the righteous. They were the ones who knew all the answers. They were the ones who spoke for God, who taught about God, who, who they were the good Christians, right? And then you had a tax collector who were despised. They ripped off their own citizens. They, they took bribes. They were corrupt. And so you have one upstanding person, and then you have a non-upstanding person. They both go into the same temple to pray. The Pharisee stood by himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. How would you feel if that happened here? Right? I hope we don't do that. God, thank you I'm not like everybody else. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of everything I get. So he's pretty high up on himself. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. And he beat his breast or his chest and said, God, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, it's easy to look at this and go, oh, yeah, totally. That Pharisee was a jerk, right? It's easy to fill in the blank. But this story would have been so deeply offensive to the people hearing it that day. It was so offensive that they wouldn't even be able to get past the details of the story or the point of the story. The story was so explicit to his audience. They were those who were confident in their own righteousness, and they looked down on everybody else. The phrase that we're confident is a, is a, perfect, a perfect participle. It means that they're so confident that their confidence never wanes. There's never a smidge of doubt in how good they are. They look down is also a strong phrase, which could be mean they despised anybody who was not like them, who did not think the way that they thought, who did not vote the way that they thought, who did not agree on social issues, which the way they thought. They were proud. And Jesus says, they thought they were righteous but they missed it. It's easy to compare ourselves to people who don't measure up to us, is what Jesus is saying, at least in our own eyes. The parable is about them, the ones who are listening to it. It's a story form trying to speak the truth to power in a ways that evoke an imagination in order for them to change their lives. Imagine the scene for this moment. You can almost hear the pin drop as you're reading this. What do you mean that God is not interested in our good things that we do? We've read the scriptures with, and we pay particular attention to a, a short list of commandments. We know what will happen to us when, we're, uh, when we fast. We know that we have everything together and we're not doing anything wrong. But Jesus presses past that and says, not only did God take a dim view of all of the ways that you've scored yourself high in your point scale, but God is going to give the gold medal to the person who you don't think deserved it. Then, moving on to the next passage, Jesus doubles down, and then he says quickly, how little children stand a better chance of inheriting the kingdom of God than the people who have lived their entire life 
understanding themselves to be the best ones in the world. What's the lesson that Jesus is trying to get to us? Sometimes when you think you have it all figured out, you're more lost than you were when you started. It's a hard word, but it's couched in a way that gets you thinking a little bit, or at least hope, gets us thinking a little bit about the situation that's at play. We think we have God pegged. We think we know what's right. We think we know what's wrong. We think we know who's in, who's out. We think we know who belongs. We think we know what's correct. We think we know the standards. We keep lists, just like the Pharisees did that day. We keep going on about how we'll have a bigger faith and greater reward, but the parables tell us that the one with the small faith will experience God more than the one who thinks they have it all together. We can wear our pride with a badge of honor, but this parable, if we're listening, tells us that those who exalt themselves will quickly be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be them exalted. Who's doing the humbling? Who's doing the exalting? God is. It doesn't matter what you think of yourself. It matters what God thinks of you. Bravado and appearance mean nothing. Resumes and social statuses mean nothing. Self-reliance means nothing. What counts is a heart that appreciates what only God can give. And buried deep within every single one of Jesus' parable is that phrase, ata aish, or ata isha. You are that man. You are that woman. You're in these parables. And whether you're listening to them is up to you. Jesus ends some of his parables with, if you have the ears to listen, you'll figure it out. But if you don't, you're going to miss it. These fiction of these parables speaks into the nonfiction of our lives. And if we can listen and put down our motives, if we can listen and put down what we've heard or what we think it says, we'll hear the invitation of Jesus calling us back to the heart of God through repentance we'll find restoration, like David. And so over these next few weeks, it's going to be a challenge. Uh, Some of these parables are hard to hear. Some of these parables are even harder to apply. However, the challenging part of all of this will be to pay attention to them. And so over these next few weeks, I want to encourage you, as you have your quiet times throughout the week, as you open up the scriptures at home or at work or at lunch, to read these parables. What is God saying to you? Not what are you saying to yourself through this parable. Put yourself in them. Answer the question, what character am I? Augustine had this whole map, which is kind of weird and we won't get into it, but he said that there is a place for every single one of us at different points in our lives to be in the parable. Sometimes we're the Pharisee. Sometimes we're the tax collector. Sometimes we're the person watching what's happening, and now we have to intervene with this injustice that's taking place. Sometimes you're the prodigal son who goes into the far country and does whatever you got to do. Sometimes you're the older brother who's mad that, you're, you're, that your brother is getting a party and you're not. Sometimes you're like the father who welcomes the person who's come back from a, from a far place. And sometimes you're people at the party witnessing everything that's going on. Sometimes you're the seed that has fertile ground and the seed just grows. Sometimes your heart's rocky. It doesn't take root. Sometimes you're the person who's throwing seeds everywhere. 
We all have different places, and our challenge is to pay attention to which ones we are in the text. I'm excited for this next few weeks. I think the parables in Jesus invite us into a life that only Jesus can give us. They make us aware of his kingdom around us. They make us aware that it's not always cut and dry like we want it to be. It's not always how we think it should be. The kingdom of God is upside down, and the parables show us that. And so next week we dive into a parable, but tomorrow morning I would love for you to dive into one for yourself. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you speak to us in ways that evokes imaginations, in ways that changes our heart and our life. Father, we thank you uh, that you are trying to call us back to you. And Lord, may we listen to what you have to say. Jesus, you said that your sheep listen to your voice. They don't just hear it. They listen to it. May we listen for your voice this week. Not just hear it like when someone asks us to do a chore, but listen and respond. We thank you for calling each and every one of us today. In Jesus' name.